What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Devi Dose. I'm your host, EK, at EK Baller. And today I have a very special guest to come on and talk some early free agency, talk some process, talk some tight ends. One of the guys that's one of the best in general, but especially with this position, say hello to David Gautieri. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, especially the tight end talk, the free agency talk. I think we'll cover a few tidbits, but I think that the tight end is more what we want to talk about. Yeah, it's the meat of it. You know, I don't want to ignore the current events, but this is definitely, a, you know, a prospect show uh, in this time of year. So uh, you want to, what do you got to plug right now, David? What are you working on? Where do you want, where do you want the eyeballs to go? And, and uh, where do you want people to find you? Yeah, for number one, you can just follow me on Twitter. If you want to just follow me there, as you can see, at Guru Fantasy World. Uh, if you want access to more of the behind-the-scenes content, exclusive stuff, you can join the Patreon as well. Uh, you'll get access to my rankings. You'll get access to the tight end checklist. You'll get a monthly letter in the off-season. You'll get a weekly letter in the in-season. Uh, we have a Discord tier as well if you want to join the Discord. Other analysts in there, we have Akash, Nelly. You can ask them questions as well. So um, all of that's available on the Patreon. Uh, we have a few different tiers, but it's generally pretty low cost of entry. So uh, try not to really restrict anyone from that. That's awesome. So I, if, if you guys are out here, you're not really following David, make sure you at least give him the follow on Twitter. But I'll say personally, I play with David in leagues and we've known each other for a long time. His his uh, his, his evaluation, his prowess and that and that is worth worth the follow and worth the couple of bucks that, that he wants to join the Patreon. So do that. And if you're not already uh, subscribe to the Debbie Dose. Please follow us on the channel. We need your support. Tons of prospect videos, rookie profiles, and of course, unique content like this with awesome guests every week. So I guess, uh, you know, first things first, what were your big takeaways from the first wave of free agency? Was there anything that was really earth shaking for you in terms of fantasy football? Was it a little ma? Who are you interested in? What changed for you? Take the reins. Um, I would say the big news droppers obviously probably going to be Rodgers to the Jets, and uh, Garrett Wilson is kind of becoming a little bit of a hot topic right now. He's someone who I I love personally. I I was trading uh, 101 for Garrett Wilson plus uh, before the Rodgers news dropped. I traded 101 for Garrett Wilson 204. Uh, I got kind of roasted over the coals a little bit on Twitter there. Uh, so people think I left a little bit of meat on the bone, which is fair enough. It's one-on-one. You can only sell that that pick once. So uh, I can understand. But if I could get more than Garrett Wilson plus 204, uh, especially a rebuilding team, probably, probably moving that. Uh, on the other hand, I do see the other side of the fence, like uh, Zoltan, for one, is really out there, you know, just yeah. leading the yeah. charge. Yeah. Garrett Wilson's a sell, Garrett, which uh, I will say – the, one of the trades he's posted, he got Amon Ross St. Brown and 106 for Garrett Wilson and 111. Yeah, uh, I, I, I would take the Amon Ross side on that. Yeah, yeah, me as well. I don't think I, I prefer Wilson, but I don't prefer him by 106. We're in a startup right now. And actually, f full disclosure, I took Wilson ahead of some guys that in a vacuum I would probably rank ahead of him. Like he went one spot ahead of AJ Brown and I, I, I have him ahead of AJ Brown. I agree with that. Yeah. 
I thought it through. It was partly it was just I'm in a lot of leagues. I know you are. I do some kind of portfolio stuff, right? So if I really am low on guys and I like them and they're in the same tier, I will take them ahead of a guy that maybe I would have one spot higher um, just to, you know, try to get some some shares spread out. But also there's an easy path for him just getting a whole bunch more targets than A.J. Brown. And, uh, and I don't think you necessarily need to project him for a lower efficiency. I mean, that offense could be really, really good with Rodgers. So I think there's a lot to like there. And I, 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 could, I think there's a path forward where he, we're talking about him not in the tier of Chase and Jefferson, but like being the guy right behind that this time next year. And I think just from like a valuation standpoint, you got to look at market sentiments and just do like, I think he's a little bit safer than AJ Brown in the next two, three years uh, in terms of holding that valuation, just because AJ Brown's had some injuries in his career. Uh, his age is going to start getting up there around 26, 27 in the next couple of years. So uh, people are going to start to ding him for that a little bit. If he has another injury, like let's say they both have the same injury next year, who's going to be held against worse? AJ Brown, Garrett Wilson. Like it's going to be held against AJ Brown a lot more. Not say AJ Brown's value is not insulated because it very much is, um, but it's a super tight tier at that point. So, I mean, if you can, I think it's take your pick between those. If you can pivot from one to the other, and get a plus on top. I think you're definitely doing that, especially we talked about if you can get into the top six picks. Uh, yeah. Pivoting off Garrett Wilson to another, you know, top eight wide receiver. Very yeah, interesting. I mean, yeah, all about making the quarters where we can, right? And then adding them up and selling them for dollars. I'm totally with you. Um, I think um, there were some kind of interesting running back moves, right? Like David Montgomery to uh, the Lions, I think is probably fantasy football relevant. Honestly, it's probably a better situation for him than the Bears, I think. What's your take on that? Did that do anything for you? Uh, I, I would say it's definitely a plus for David Montgomery. Uh, just won the contract. Uh, they, they gave him enough money and enough years where it, it signals an intent to use him. Uh, they had a running back in that role last year, Jamal Williams, who was over 1,000 yards rushing, uh, had led the league in rushing touchdowns, I believe, what, 17 rushing touchdowns? A lot of those from the one-yard line. You know, he's probably not going to get that lucky this year in, in that same role. Um, but we saw this last year, a team wanting to use a, a powerful running back in a short yardage, uh, especially near the goal line role. So I think that's good for Montgomery, especially um, they haven't loved using Swift in a rushing volume. So there's really no threat to rushing volume for David Montgomery. Swift feel like people are going to kind of overreact. I've been higher than consensus. I feel like I've just been on the way down to like every time I'm saying, keep buying, I'm keep buying. And I'm just, he keeps falling. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to keep buying them. Like yeah. it, the price is still falling. And I just see a guy with, especially Montgomery, what happens if he suffers an injury? I still believe Swift has legitimate top five upside. With, with even just barely enough rushing work, uh, the receiving ceiling is just so high. This guy falls out of bed. He's a 50 reception running back. So uh, yeah. I like DeAndre Swift. Uh, I'm not going to give up on him because they went from Jamal Williams to David Montgomery. Yeah, I have a trade in an, in an inbox in a league right now. It's been sitting there for weeks. And I like intellectually know I should take it. 
but like intuitively, emotionally, I'm just looking at it. I'm like, I really want more Swift than I have right now. And it's uh, the 201 and the 204 for Swift. I would get Swift. I should totally smash it. You're overpaying. Like, uh, I don't. I don't agree. You should smash it. Really? Yeah. I think DeAndre Swift's market right now is right about at that 201. Like, yeah. We're talking about who are you picking at that point? You're getting, we'll say Charbonnet's off the board. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the top three running backs are gone. It's going to be Bichon's gone. Gibbs is gone. Charbonnet will say he's gone. But there are some good profiles, and one of them is going to get the draft capital and a landing spot, and it's probably going to be there at 201, whether it's Zach Evans, whether it's Kendry Miller. Uh, and these guys are going to carry hype. The second that happens in the draft capital land, one of them is going to get it. Devin A. A. Chain, like there are some good running backs there in that second tier. You, you keep going, like you got to keep yeah. naming names. And, and they don't have uh, NFL injury history yet. Yeah, they got. They don't have any not. negative sentiments. And at that point, that's you're going to be able to sell two and one for Swift plus maybe. Like, yeah, that's probably. probably what we're talking about. So I don't. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's. That's basically what's held me back. So I look at the players and I'm like, Wait. yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be an Evans. It's going to be a Tucker, if Tucker gets DC. It's going to be Zay Flowers. If he falls out of the, you know, out of the first round of rookie draft. Hell, Michael Meyer, I think is going to be fuck, at yeah. least like a TJ Hawkinson type player. We'll talk about that in a little bit. You might have a different take, but I think there's a lot of value that's going to be hanging around there. Um, I think what else is really germane? Any of the other wide receiver moves do anything for you? Any of the signings so far? This wide receiver class was freezing class was terrible. It didn't move the needle at all. I think there's just a couple other running backs that I kind of like, like talk about Miles Sanders, who he also got. Yeah, that's exciting. He got a pretty good contract in uh, Carolina. He's a good prospect. He's a second round pick. He's got uh, 175 plus touches or a pace of it when we're talking about his injured seasons every single year. Uh, So he's high pick. He's proven volume. Now he's got the contract. Look at last year. They they were running the ball crazily heavily, <laughs> like just running it nonstop. They have no wide receivers to speak of at this point. They're going to be bringing yeah. in a rookie quarterback. So it's basically locked in. Miles Sanders is getting like 20 carries a game, I feel like. Yeah. And, Obviously and not think, average, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think he's a decent back, but I think it's pretty fair to say that Sanders is more talented, more talented than Foreman, and Foreman had success in that system last year as well. And Sanders has familiarity with the OC, right? I can't remember who it was, but I know there was a tie from earlier in the career. So very excited for him there. I still think, I don't know. I feel like they usually wind up with some kind of a committee, Carolina, but that might be more of a, just like a feel thing than than actual fact. I could be off base on that. What, what's your thoughts there? I think if they will, it's going to be Miles Sanders leading it for sure. And I think yeah. most running backs are committee running backs. We talk about like another guy, J.K. Dobbins, who I've got him pretty much back to back in my rankings with Miles Sanders. The market's got him a lot wider. I mean, we're talking about very, very similar type profiles, very similar type roles. Uh, neither one of these guys has shown at any point in their career anything to be crazily confused with a workhorse, three down, 50 plus reception yeah. running back. I mean, so we're talking about two committee running backs here. And I think you can get a pretty significant plus. Like if you can get Sanders in a mid-second round pick, uh, maybe you can get, if you're lucky, if you want to do Dobbins in a 20-25-2 for Sanders in a 20-25-1, taking Sanders in the one all day. So I think you can pivot off of like other assets in that range who are similarly risky 
similar upside. We talk about Javante Williams as well, who's got a lot of risk to him as well. Obviously, I think a better even, player when healthy. Maybe than, a bigger name, like pivot down from Dalvin Cook straight up to a younger Sanders or get a little plus there, something along those lines. Once Cook lands somewhere and we know he's back with the Vikings or you know has a contract on another team, would be an interesting idea for me. I like that as one. The other name you mentioned uh, was Deontay Foreman. And I think he's an intriguing guy in Chicago as well, who he had some success last year. Talk about leaders in 100-yard rushing games. Uh, last year we had for running backs Derrick Henry with nine, Chubb with seven, Josh Jacobs with six, and then we had five guys with five. McCaffrey, Etienne, Kenneth Walker, Aaron Jones, and Deontay Foreman with five. And Foreman didn't even start until week eight post-McCaffrey yeah. trade. So he was yeah. just putting up these big, big rushing games. Uh, and he was certainly taking the opportunity he was giving and maximizing it. So I think uh, there's a role. Khalil Herbert has only ever been a committee running back. It's been efficient in his role. Yeah. But uh, it's going to be beneficial playing alongside Justin Fields. So I think especially if Herbert were to get injured, Deontay Foreman has very high upside, especially to talk about the cost. Relative to cost, uh, I love the cost acquisition of Deontay Foreman right now. Yeah, I have a billion shares from acquiring him on waivers at the beginning of last year when, when things started to take, take take place for him there. The confusing thing about that situation to me is I think, I mean, maybe not stylistically, they're all the same, but they're both like one and two down bangers, big, powerful, physical backs, like both tackle shedders. Just feel like there's so much overlap between that role. It's definitely... I feel like it winds up being like a one and a backup, right? I like, think to me, what it signals is that people need to cool their expectations with DJ Moore in Chicago because neither one of these running backs are a receiving running back. They want guys who can run the ball. They want to run the ball. They're going to be a run first offense and they're not uh, going to be league worst uh, since basically to, what 2004 the bush administration shouted to, to david Plow, who's been plugging that stat at league lowest in passing attempts since the bush administration so there's yeah. plenty of room to go up but the baseline is is so low that they have to go a long way just to get into league average so i think uh the signal there for me is just don't go crazy about DJ. bang the rock yeah i mean look maybe that kind of like ravens type offense might be a model um, for them, multiple running backs, high carry count, or even what Philly did last year, if the rushing offense is impressive, you know. Um, but yeah, it definitely seems like they're trending further in that direction rather than trying to be pass happy or really shift that way. Um, which, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty off more too. I have a bunch of shares. Uh, I could get good value for them. I think I'd be interested in selling them, but I don't. I don't know. I feel like the sentiment, at least in the circles we run in is pretty tepid. Um, I haven't found, I've tried. I, I haven't made a single DJ more trade. I haven't been able to sell them for like any profit. Like I've sent some offers all declined. Would you sell them straight up for like a 107, 106? That's exactly the cutting point. Like 107 yeah. I would take because you're getting Gibbs, JSN or Quentin Johnson. Yeah. Or just yeah. like the upside to sell for another vet plus. And, and profit off that rookie hype like so I, I think i would take that 108 like now we're getting into all right you got big levis or addison or and i like addison but he's a little, he doesn't have the same sentiments of, from the community for the most part you know he, 
the draft capitals. It's going to be good. It's going to be first round, and uh, he's an early declare. He was he was a productive player in college, but I just don't know if he's going to hold more value than TJ Moore. Um, yeah. So I think that's about where the cutoff is. Makes sense. I, I have high expectations for Addison. I don't think he's going to be a wide receiver one, but I think he's going to be like a rock solid wide receiver two. Kind of like Deontay. I've seen him. Yeah, someone made that comp on Twitter today, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Pollock for uh, who, who was it? Because we need a shout out because I saw that. That's where it's, I, I came across that. Too. <laughs> that's why I'm just regurgitating. I'm sure I shout out to whoever it was who made that because I think that's a good comp. <laughs> I, I also like it. Yeah. A lot of similarities. I, I, and, you know, even, I don't know if he's quite as, quite as agile as Johnson, but he's probably close. Like there's definitely a lot of stuff on his tape where you see him grabbing the ball and like quick steps and dusting a couple of guys for, for some rack, despite not being, you know, a big physical receiver. So I think he was a yeah. little, a little bit faster than Deontay at his combine time. He was yeah, he got a little more speed, a little more of like downfield, I would say capabilities. Yeah, yeah. I, well, Deontay in college was a downfield guy. He That's wasn't true. this dink and dunk guy in college. Yeah. He was like we're, we're splitting hairs for sure. I think it, we agree. <laughs> Definitely, it's a good call. It was Snoog. Snoog. Okay. FF Snoog made the uh, the comp that we're talking about. So give him a follow too. Snoog. He's a good good follow as well. If you guys aren't following, he has him. lots of good content so far this year coming out of him. So all right, I, anything else? I, I was thinking. Yeah, one more. Um, one more. One more. Cause I got one guy who I want to plug. I just feel has been getting no love who I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm stupid, but I kind of got like rosy eyes for this. At least I got a sweet spot in my heart for him. <laughs> and that's Jacoby Brissett. And I think, I, at like this, I think at this point he has proven that he's, he can be a capable NFL starter. He started 48 career games. He's got a 48 to 23 touchdown to interception ratio. That's that's more than two to one. That's good. This past year, among qualifying quarterbacks, where Jacoby Brissett started 11 games, he was 16th in yards per attempt, fifth in completion percentage over expectation. He was plus 2.1%. He was an eighth in QBR. So this guy was very, very good. Deserved to keep starting if it wasn't uh, obviously the massive, what, 50 – Five hundred million dollar, whatever the a lot of money, three hundred. You know what? It'll. Sean Watson had to play. He had to go onto the field. Bottom. He had line. To play. That, that's yeah. what it was. It was not because Jacoby Brissett was not playing well, and yeah. now he gets an opportunity in Washington, where Sam Howell is kind of a little bit of that Debbie darling who we expected to get more draft capital. Had a good, pretty good profile, and just didn't get any draft capital. Started one game as a rookie, but in an offense that was using Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke it did decent in that game, but he certainly didn't light the world on fire uh, through like one touchdown, one pick it was like, I don't know, 60% completion. It was decent. One game. I think Jacoby Fett has, has got to be the odds on favorite to be winning this job. And I see a little bit of similarity to Geno Smith. Like nobody wanted Geno Smith last year. You could buy him for a late, maybe even a fourth round rookie pick. And nobody really wants Jacoby Brissett this year. You can buy him for a late three, maybe fourth round rookie pick. He's played decently in the year before. We're talking about Geno. The year before last year, he, he was coming off. It was only three games, but he had a five to one touchdown interception ratio. And it was very, very good in those three games. Uh, so he's coming off a good year. Jacoby Brissett's coming off a good year. He's got an opportunity to start. He's 
got some decent rushing utilization. Uh, Brissett had uh, 243 rushing yards, two touchdowns, and 11 starts. That's not bad. Then we talk about he's got weapons. Uh, he's got plenty of weapons in Washington. He's got Terry McLaurin, Dotson. got Curtis Samuel right now. Uh, talk about if Logan Thomas is still there. Um, they've got weapons. Then we talk about Antonio Gibson in the passing game. Plenty of weapons. So I really like the price point. I feel like nobody's talking about Brissett as a guy who you could start in Superflex Leagues this year. When we talk about Superflex Leagues, it, it, getting QBs is, can be tough. You can get them cheap for mid to late three, uh, especially when we're talking about this rookie class that's going to generate some hype. There's some good prospects through the third round. You might even maybe wait till draft day, get him for like a later, or maybe a four. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, I think he's going to start, I would say, possibly the whole season. I think he beats out Sam Howell. That's a good year. And then talk about the other winner. I think the other winner is Terry McLaurin if this if this comes to fruition. Because Mark yeah. Cooper was a wide receiver one. He was a wide receiver one in those 11 games with Jacoby Brissett last year. He averaged 16.1 points per game. That would have been wide receiver 12 on the season. That would have been the highest point per game of Amari's entire career last year. Dak never supported him like that. Last year with Jacoby Brissett. never supported him like that. Terry McLaurin, I know this has been the just uh, every year we do this and it doesn't work out. Terry McLaurin's got the best quarterback play of his career and then he just finishes his mid-wire receiver too. Yeah, he's like This could be the year. He's still very cheap, McLaurin. You know, at this point, the age is priced in. It's all priced in. The expectations are not as wide receiver one. But I think he's got the upside with Jacoby Brissett under center. I like him a lot in that range. Like, I think we have those three wide receivers, vets, Calvin Ridley, Amari Cooper, and Terry McLaurin, I think, are very good price points where they could finish as wide receiver one redraft receivers. And they're going very, very, very cheap in Dynasty. That's fair. Every startup I've done this year, I've grabbed at least one of them. And last year I was trading for Ridley at the end of the season and any team I had that wasn't really competitive, uh, you know, I wasn't going to win. I was making those moves to trade that guy that was uh, clearly a declining asset for Ridley. We're like, yeah, Ridley could suck. He hasn't played in two years. It could be horrible or he could be like wide receiver nine. Neither one of those would surprise me. You know, he's playing a T-law, right? Like, Maybe the best quarterback play. The upside is very high. I would say maybe he could be wide receiver. I would go higher, Eric. I'm not afraid. Maybe he'd be wide receiver five. He's got top five (laughs) upside. Like the last time he was a full C, he put up 1,300 yards. Like, and he's never had a quarterback with Trevor Lawrence's pedigree. It's just the best situation of his career. He's got all sorts of extra motivational factors to restore his name now. It just, I think if he's healthy, he's motivated. Uh, Calvin Ridley's got it. it. There's almost no ceiling to what he can do in 2020. Yeah, I'm with you on all those names. Ridley's been a big favorite of mine. And and Brissett, like, so I've done a few startups already. And he goes, like, five rounds after Howell, which, like, I get it. Shiny new toy. Maybe Howell is a thing and has a, you know, but, like, you you, it's, you take the arbitrage. But there, you take I've got Brissett over Howell in my in my rankings. I yeah, just, take them both. You know, onus but. is on Sam Howell to to win this job. At that point, when he does, I will move him ahead. I just don't expect it to happen. Yeah, the other interesting guy for me that we didn't talk about was really Darren Waller, and I mean, kind of plays a little bit into our next segment here too. But I mean, he's a guy that's put up. 
top three tight end seasons, has all the athleticism, certainly aging, but Bellinger got volume in that offense as a rookie, as a guy that was good in college, but not blowing minds. So I think there's a ton of opportunity for Waller to walk in there and really like put up like a top four or five tight end season this year. Uh, Especially just the upside, not being in Devonte Adams shadow anymore, shadow, you know, it yeah. just gives him that potential to be more of the featured option. And all else being equal, that's what we want. So it's absolutely, I would say, it's got to be viewed as, yeah. as a big plus. I think they got to draft a guy too, though. They've been trying to get support for Jones. Wallers have stepped. We talked forward. about Addison. We talked about Addison. He could go there. Everyone they have plays across the middle, right? I but mean, they keep uh, paying all of them. They keep giving them all. They just signed. Like, like they have so Paris Campbell. They re-signed Hodgins. They re-signed Slayton. Uh, I'm pretty sure they did something with Sterling Shepard. Paris yeah, Campbell. Yeah, they brought him back. His contract expired. They gave him a new That's one. That's five. Like, how many more can you fit into that wide receiver room where you're not going to have – maybe these contracts, they figure, all right, if we got to cut Hodgins, whatever. But I don't know. I, 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 I bet the Paris contract is probably an easy out for them. You know, I feel I mean, like they might be million. happy to just go into this year with Darius Lane, Isaiah Hodgins, Wandale Robinson, Paris Campbell, and Darren Waller. I feel like they might just you know, be. The depth kind of makes sense for them too, because look at it last year, right? They like, have Saquon Shepard too. goes down, right? Wandale goes down. Like they got decimated. So, you know, I think it's kind of like San Francisco accumulating quarterbacks, right? Like you're just like, <laughs> You think you just lost the Super Bowl because you didn't have enough QB depth? Like, yeah, you're going to go sign Sammy Dawson. Lost third place in division because we didn't have enough wide receiver depth. The heck? (laughs) You know? All right, all right. I think we could probably spend an hour on free agency if we wanted to, but that's not our primary purpose here today. So we're going to talk about scouting the 2023 tight end class and all of that means, values, who we're targeting, why we like these guys, where we see them fitting in uh, into the the greater picture of the tight end landscape. But first, David, I want to ask you, what what is your process for evaluating the position? I know you're mostly coming from a data perspective. Uh, I think you do some film work as well. So what do you care about? What's your process? School us, please. Yeah, so just to give you a little bit of background history, I was pretty much forced into being uh, the tight end guy. Uh, (laughs) I was very vocal about wanting an elite tight end in fantasy. I had been playing redraft years for about 15 years and dabbled with both. I had success with the late round guys like Vernon Davis, you know, I had fun with that. I had some other teams that didn't do so well with the late round guys. Then I started drafting some teams with, you know, Travis Kelsey was getting him in the fourth and the, you know, the third, I had even before that Jimmy Graham. Um, So I, kind of started falling in love with these teams with the elite tight ends. I just found myself having more success. I found it being the hardest to replicate uh, type of asset is an elite tight end. Found myself being able to find running backs off waivers, you know, being able to trade for wide receivers, whatever, maybe. But like an elite tight end is you basically you got it or you don't. And I just became very vocal about that. And people started just Assuming I was the tight end guy. So they started asking me all sorts of tight end related questions. And I'm like, I don't even have a, any sort of tight end process whatsoever. Like I wish I did. And then I just said, you know what? Maybe I should just start charting these guys, like just charting the profile. So I can at least have something to like 
guide my decision-making process. Um, so I basically just looked at everything that's being uh, at somewhat considered to be pre uh, a predictive analytic. Um, so we're just basically charting these guys, one, as college prospects, and then two, we're charting them through their NFL careers as well. Um, so from pre-NFL, we're charting just the basics, uh, height, weight to start with, just to figure out kind of what they're shaped like. Are they bigger, smaller than the average tight end? Are they outlier sized? Uh, so that's the number one thing. We want to look at some of the other analytical things. Are they an early declare? Uh, because those are coming with a lot higher hit rate. I, I can pull those up uh, at some point. I got to Google them, but I know um, that sharp football carries uh, a lot of early declare uh, metrics, basically, um, which highlights the hit rates for top 24 seasons, top 12 seasons. And basically across every position, you're going to see that the early declares are performing better. Um, so we're charting that as well. We're going to be charting their draft capital, which we don't have for any of these guys yet, but we do have projected draft capital. Uh, we're obviously charting their college production. I use dominator rating. Uh, also their college yards per reception, which is kind of a, a good idea of their efficiency. Um, then we're charting, obviously, the athleticism, the all of the combine metrics, their 40, their vertical, uh, the catch radius. Um, so that gives us the, just a complete view. And then we're just color coding it. So that way we can kind of see who's green, who's red, who, you know, which guys have the literal, the red flags. Uh, and then once we get to the NFL, we're charting their points per game, their yards per route run. Uh, eventually, I need to get to char charting their target share, which is something I want to add to the checklist. But I've got a million other things to get to first, so that, that will come in time. Uh, but when you chart it all, you color code it, uh, you stack all the tight ends next to each other, you start to kind of see uh, which are kind of undervalued guys, which guys are overvalued relative to, to the others. And it just kind of gives you a little bit more than just like a raw age and points per game perspective, which is just the most basic way to kind of view things in Dynasty. So I love it. So I, this short version, you care about prototypical size, right? And weight, care about athleticism. You care about dominator or production relative to their teams passing offense, right? And then yards per reception, which is kind of like a good marker for efficiency on a, you know, per attempt basis. Does that sum it up fairly well? Yes, sir. Cool. I was going to say the other thing that I like too, and I actually haven't done anything on this this year, as I told you pre-show, I like yak and tight ends too, because that kind of helps you hunt down that like George Kittle type prospect. But uh, and I do actually have PFF does have that for this class too. Yeah. So I don't I chart have... yak, but I'm, I'm definitely interested in those statistics as well. Uh, you talk about that. You talk, talk about missed tackles force. Uh, that's another mm. thing I want to see because that is definitely an element we want guys who can be a threat after the catch, who can gain yardage in chunks. And um, I think that goes somewhat a little bit hand in hand with the yards per reception um, because generally yeah. the guys who can have high yak are guys who average a little bit more yards per reception. Um, but it's definitely good to do both and to look at both of those. Yeah, I love it. Um, and I did just pull some of those up as we were talking. So we go through i can maybe add some color with the uh yeah yak and a dots kind of interesting for tight ends too are they just catching screens and dump offs or, or are they playing a downfield role so all right let's launch into the 2023 class with your 
tight end one who is? I don't know. <laughs> is it, am I allowed to have a non-convicted stance? Because yeah, hundred percent. It's early, man. We don't know anything. There's no. And even once we know it, we know a lot. I have everything I need in my checklist here, except for draft capital. So I know everything I need to know, at least from my process about these players and the draft capital I have projected. I have three tight end. I have a one A, a one B, and a one C. And uh, the market's going to pretty much dictate what order I have them in. I could rank the guy I want at one, at one, but he's not going to be priced there. So there's no reason for me to do so. Um, so we'll start. I'll say the first three will be Michael Meyer, Dalton Kincaid, and I'm going to include Sam Laporta. And I believe all three of those guys are in the top tier. I believe they all have a, a claim to being the number one tight end in this class. Michael Meyer, obviously talk about just from a pure dominator standpoint, he's got the highest dominator rating of any tight end in this class. 35.8%. That is green, green all the way through my, like, that's the greenest green you can have in dominator rating. Above 20% is good. Above 30% is freaking great. And he did it all three years. He was, uh, an early declare. So that's another thing. Uh, checking the box. He's going to be a first round pick. So we put the athleticism aside. He's a very productive dude who is an early declare and is getting drafted round one. Bottom line, uh, that is a very, very good thing for tight end production. He does have only a 4740, 32 and a half inch vertical, and he was not superly uh, explosive from a yards per reception standpoint in college, 12.1. It's nothing special. Um, but he's going to get volume in the NFL, a very high floor. He's going to have a role. Talked about, I think you said, Hawkinson, Muth. He's almost identical in the way he compares to them. Uh, we talked about Hawkinson, Muth. I think he's somewhere on that spectrum, perhaps at the top of it. All three of these guys are roughly 6'4", 250. All three of them are going to be drafted in the first two rounds. All three early declares. Muth didn't run the 40, but Hawk and Meyer, both 4740s. Uh, dominator rating, we have 24s for Muth and Hawk. Meyer, obviously, 35%. College yards per reception, Muth was 13, Meyer 12, Hawk 15 and a half. So Hawk was like the one who actually translated um, to a little bit more of an explosive role, even though he only had the same, the exact same speed as Meyer, it translated a little bit better. But then again, it wasn't nearly as high a volume as role as Michael Meyer. Um, so I think they're almost identical prospects. It's going to come up a lot. Is the question this year is going to be Meyer or Fryermuth? And I think that's going to be a debate a lot of people are going to have. Um, but I think that's a good comparison for him. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I, how I felt about Meyer for a couple of years now is like, uh, Fryermuth was the mold of Hawkinson, not a hyper athlete, but just damn good at what he does, damn good blocker, hands, you know, hands of gold. And, uh, and again, in Fryermuth, it's the same thing. And I think Meyer's that same guy. I think we're going to see him step in and just immediately play a role, be successful. Well, you know, I, I guess Hawkinson hadn't really had that top three type season before this year but he's also valued as a fourth round startup pick now so these people yeah. just saying michael meyer is never gonna matter i'm very skeptical of saying that because if you're young enough and you're even like just above 12 points per game 
he's going to be a fourth, fifth round start. But he's going to rise in value from where you're taking him. And even though it might not be the sexiest thing in the world, even though he might not ever be uh, George Kittle, a guy who goes crazy, uh, I'm not just removing Michael Mayer from my board because I'm not in love with this athleticism. Let's make that clear. I think in rookie picks, in rookie drafts too, you don't really, just like Fryermuth, you're not going to have to pay for this guy. He's going to be there at like <laughs> He's gonna be more expensive. 204. Firemuth was like a 210. He was, and it was a weaker class. I think you're going to have to no, pass just up. just because of Pitts though. If Pitts wasn't in that class. Well, we talk about Fire... opportunity costs. The guys you're going to be passing up for Michael Mayer yeah. in this class, you were passing up like Michael Carter and Nico Collins yeah. for Pat Firemuth. Like it was just yeah. a different opportunity cost. Um, but I don't hate Michael Meyer. I'm not removing him from my board because he's only running four seven forty. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with him. Be, let's say I think he's going to be the most expensive of the three guys you talked about by far. You are one of the only people I've heard mention Laporta in that same breath. But I mean, Laporta's same, just been a dominant receiver from the tight end position for two years now in college, and and then tested through the roof too i don't know why he's not getting more uh hype than he is he's a prototypical nfl and honestly has better athleticism than than, than meyer i you know i think and honestly i i pulled up yards per out run for the class and it goes michael meyer 2.44 dalton kincaid 2.42 sam laporta 2.16 like all right in a row um and they're also porta Laporta did the best of the three in Yak as well with 6.3 yards after contact per reception. That is nuts. That's nuts. I mean, obviously that's, you know, playing college, but that is just wild. Um, and Kincaid is right behind him. But, um, yeah, maybe, I don't know, probably played about the same level of competition as well, right? I mean, Kincaid was Pac-12, so it's a little bit weaker of a conference for defense, I think. Than um, you know, Big Twelve with Iowa, but and all three of them, uh, you know, P five guys. I think there's a lot to like. Kincaid, I think a little bit of a later riser in this class, right? Didn't really do much until his past year. But uh, what 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 caught your eye of Kincaid? Just the normal metrics, or is it the athleticism for you that that sells you on him? Well, I think just number one, we have the projected draft capital and the dominator rating. He had a thirty four percent dominator rating, which is extremely high it's just one percent behind meyer for tops in the class and he's projected to go around one so we have a guy who is very productive in college projected to go around one. i don't have athletic measurements because he didn't compete in the combine um so it's i don't have nothing to hold him against him there i would love to have something positive for him there um, but i would much rather uh a did not participate than a participated negatively um so i'm not yeah, holding I anything against him there for the lack of athletic drills. Uh, it would be nice to get something out of pro day. I'm not sure if he's participating at uh, pro day in those drills or not, um, but it would be nice to get those. But he just for the pure fact, he's got round one draft capital and was just as productive from a dominator ring as Michael Mayer. I think he's got arguing as well for, for tight end one in this class. And a lot of people are going to have him as tight end one in this class. And I think that's totally fair. Um, Sam Laporta, this guy was just <laughs> – I don't think he's got any one trust other than the athleticism, which is huge. He's not an early declare like Mayer. His dominator was 25%, which is not 35%. But he led his team in receptions three straight years. 
at Iowa as a tight end. He's got the highest athletic ceiling until Kincaid tests out of any of these three at four, five, nine, 40, 35 and a half inch vertical and 25% dominator is damn good. Let's make that clear. It's not 35%, but there's nothing to fret at about 25. He checks that box as green. So Sam Laporta, I think, especially at cost, he's got probably the highest ceiling at, at the lowest cost of those three. Hmm. So when I look at the way the market's settling, I'm going to have the most of that guy. If I'm going to select yeah. Meyer or Kincaid, I'm just going to trade back and I'm going to pick up Sam Laporta plus. That's probably the way I'm going to go about it. If I want to attack this class of rookie tight ends, uh, there are some couple other guys, but it's those three first for me. I think you got a good point too. It's just because there are three guys, assuming they all get draft capital, one of them's going to fall to 210, 212, 303, right? In every draft, because there's just, there's enough depth in this class at the other positions that, I mean, I'm mostly going to be trying to be hammering, you know, running backs in that late second round, just because there's so many good running backs that aren't elite, that aren't going to be in the first round. Uh, uh, you know, like I, I definitely think others are going to have that same mindset and let these extremely nice tight end profiles slip till they're just basically free, which is awesome if you need uh, a little, you know, you got Kelsey, you want to add something young at the position. I think this is a great year to really be considering that. Yeah, this is a great class to have like a second and third round rookie picks and to need tight end. It's like a perfect yeah. class for you. Yeah. All right. So after the top three, and I get where you're at, tough to rank them until you have a little more information. Uh, and they all have a great resume to me. So who, who do you have after that? So I've got, I think the next tier is another three guys. Um, and again, I feel like I'm kind of going to, I'm going to be against consensus here as well, because the guy who charts the best in, in my uh, process here is not the guy who's getting anywhere near as much hype as the other two. And he's the cheapest of the three. Uh, the next tier for me is Tucker Kraft, Darnell Washington, and Luke Musgrave. And we talk about obviously Darnell Washington and Luke Musgrave are the guys who are getting the hype right now at the Combine. We have the 461 for Musgrave. He's projected first or second round pick. Uh, and we talk about Washington, who he was an early declare as well. We're in a 46440 at 200 million pounds. Uh, <laughs> you know, so he's projected a first round pick in the NFL draft as well. Um, so a lot of people are getting excited about Darnell Washington and Luke Musgrave. But I'm very, very, very skeptical of these two players, more so Washington than Musgrave. Uh, because they have dominator ratings below 10%, which is not just like a little red. That's like very red flaggish. Like that's not good. We talk about the top 40 valued tight ends in the dynasty landscape now, and I'm going freaking deep, right? Going 40 deep. And we talk about how shallow the position is took for me to say, I'm going to go 40 deep on you. The only one in the top 40 with a dominator rating Below 10% is Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox, who had a measly 4.2% dominator rating in college. That's it. Everybody else was at some point able to put up above 10% dominator rating. Darnell Washington and Luke Musgrave didn't do that. Luke Musgrave has an out because he got injured in his final season. And he was off to a good start in two games. And it looked very much like he was going to go above that 10% uh, threshold. Probably was going to be around 20%. 
which would be good. And at that point, he would have basically everything else minus the earlier to declare. He would have the draft capital. He'd have the athleticism, the dominator. He'd have it all. Darnell Washington, he don't have a freaking excuse, all right? He played with Brock Bowers, and everybody wants to use that excuse for him. But he also played with Lad McConkie, uh, Marcus St. Jacksmith, if I'm saying that, Jack St. Something. <laughs> yeah. Rosemary Jack Jackson. Jack St. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Kenny McIntosh, a fifth-year running back, had more receptions than him. So we're talking about not just Brock Bowers, two other wide receivers and a fifth-year running back had more receptions than him. He didn't finish higher than fifth on his team in receptions in any of his three years, Darnell Washington. He is just as much a sixth offensive lineman as he is a tight end or or dare you even get into envisioning him as a wide receiver. I mean, he is going to have a very successful NFL career, I believe. Talk about his spectrum. I think he's somewhere along – O.J. Howard and Mercedes Lewis, with Howard being a little bit more of the receiver type and Lewis obviously being more that sixth offensive lineman type. Now, O.J. Howard was not very productive in college either. He only had a 15% dominator rating, not as bad as 8.3% for Washington, but he's a little faster too in the 40. So I think Washington's probably would hope to be like O.J. Howard if, if he was had a good outcome to his career. But he could just be Mercedes Lewis, who had, you know, he's played 13 seasons in the NFL, very successful NFL career. Uh, he had one season where he caught 10 touchdowns. I could see Washington doing that. But he, Mercedes never went above 600 yards more than once, just one time in his career. And he's just a good NFL player, was never really someone you needed in fantasy. And I just see that for Darnell Washington. And he's just getting hyped up. Oh, you could be the Titan one in this class. I don't see that in any way, shape, or form. I, I, that's just a, a leap of faith beyond a leap of faith to, to, to take something like that and expect him to transform what he was into college into something completely entirely different. Um, yeah, so. I, I'm with you. If I'm going to invest in these guys, I want to see someone who has done it in college, right? Someone who was able to be a producer in college. And I'd love to give them the out, like, oh, it was Alabama. They had this talented pass catching core, but, which in many past years would be probably a valid narrative, right? But I, I'm with you. This year, it's they did not have much going on at bat, you know, at, at receiver, uh, other than Bowers, you know. Um, so, uh, even, and for some you know, reason, oh, oh sorry, gotcha. Sorry, gotcha. For some reason, people uh, bring up like Travis Kelsey and George Kittle and say, "Well, they weren't, you know, crazy good in college." Number one, Travis Kelsey was suspended the entire season. Number two, both of these guys, Kittle and Kelsey, they were above twenty percent dominator ratings. Mm-hmm. They were productive in college. So I think a lot of the people that people point to as like, oh, look, but this guy did it. They're just not even informed in whether they actually were productive in college. So I don't really see any comparisons for Washington. A couple interesting tidbits on Musgrave. Uh, Musgrave's ADOT this past season, 12.4. That's a downfield role for a tight end. And his yards per route run was an outstanding 3.38, eclipsing even Kincaid by a full Yeah, but how many yard. routes did he run? Like six. How many routes did he run? Right, yeah. I, and I remember Not those early games. He, he played two games. Real big, yeah, he busted some real big plays. So, yeah, small sample size theater, we'll call it. But still, it's a At least he did it in a small point. sample. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um yeah, I'm with you. Uh, so 
So the name that I'm less familiar with there is Tucker Craft. Let's let's talk about Craft a little bit. So Craft is a small schooler. Um, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Dallas Goddard a little bit. Uh, I believe he was South Dakota. I don't even know if they were from the same college. Um, but another kind of small school Dakota, a Dakota boy. Um, and he's just, he's got a lot of green in his profile. And he was arguably, I say, just as, you know, impressive at the combine as these other two. Not quite as fast, 46940, but he had a 34-inch vertical too, which is very good. So those are two green numbers there. He was by far the best dominator rating out of this group. He was 21%. Washington at 8.3, Musgrave at 7.5. So I've got Kraft in the green, the other two in the red. And then projected draft capital, he's probably going to be a, a, a second or third round pick. Third, I would say, at worst. There's a, a good amount of hype. It's a deep class, so he's not getting this first-round talk. I think he could be like an early second round pick in like a weaker class, uh, but I think he's going to be a second or third round pick. Um, and I just think he's going to be a lot cheaper than Washington or Musgrave. I get it. If you want to go shoot your shot on Musgrave, but if I was going to select Washington, mm -mm, I'll just trade back, get a plus take Tucker craft instead. And, and, you know, just go that way is with a guy who I think uh, doesn't have a crazy high athletic ceiling, but again, Dallas Goddard, similar to I thought he didn't run the 40, so I don't know. But I don't think anyone's going to tell you Dallas Goddard is like this straight line speed guy. Like he's a good athlete, but he's not running a 4-5-0, you know. So Tucker Kraft, uh, he doesn't have elite straight line speed, but he seems he's got just about everything else on paper for me. So I like him a lot, uh, especially the price point. You can get this guy in the late third, fourth round. I, mean, I think we'll see if he gets the draft capital that bumps that up a little bit. Um, but I, I love him as a sleeper in this class, Tucker Craft. So do you factor in level of competition into your process at all? I mean, I know we have a lot of successful tight ends from uh, FBS uh, or you know FCS or, or G5 schools. So how does that play out with a guy like Craft? A million percent, yes. We want to cross. That's That's the whole point of charting everything is so we have those checks and balances in these cross-references. And the way I describe it is the Dallas Goddard-Adam Troutman conundrum, right? Because mm. both Dallas Goddard and Adam Troutman went to small schools. And Adam Troutman as well, he was um, – Adam Troutman had above a 30% dominating ring at a small school. Uh, Dallas Goddard was 30.7%. So both of these guys, small schools, above 30% dominating ring. How do we figure it out? Well, for one, athleticism. Dallas Goddard didn't participate, so I, I got nothing to hold against him. Adam Troutman didn't. He participated horribly. He ran basically like as slow as your, your average defensive end. Uh, so we had that. And then draft capital. That's going to tell us a lot about whether this player's small school production was legit. If the NFL tells us it was legit, it's probably more legit. If the NFL like Adam Troutman lets him fall to the, the compensatory section of the third, the fourth. I'm going to be a little bit more skeptical. All right. Maybe this player's not as good as I thought, but if he gets drafted or second round, like Dallas Goddard. Uh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to buy into that small school production because the NFL is telling me to buy into it. Uh, so I think it's so essentially you're out after like pick 90. If he's after pick 90, you're, you're done with him. I want a tight end 
first, ideally the first three, like the first three rounds we want. You can make exceptions for guys in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. You're really pushing it. Like you're really pushing it. And Kittle, we have Kittle. It's not a whole lot other than that. Talking about late, obviously Waller, but he had drug issues. Like those were documented well, drug drafted issues. Drafted as a wide receiver too. Yeah. And you watch the Darren Waller story. They knew coming out he had drug issues. John Harbour speaks to it. Like, why is this guy not first round? Oh, he's got these uh, off the field. So we can't really say, oh, Darren Waller's drafted. Well, he was a known, you know, had substance abuse issues. So, yeah. Wow. Um, so. But I want first yeah, three I, rounds. If I like a yeah, guy, I, know, I want I him drafted say, first three. Yeah. Um, I had another thought along those lines, and it is completely wiped out of my mind now. So we're just gonna Troutman was just something about Troutman. If we can go back and dunk on Troutman, I, we can do that. I mean, <laughs> I, I'll dunk yeah, on Troutman. Troutman all day long. Oh, what I was going to say is a guy like Kraft, like unless something really changes, like he's probably a fifth-round rookie pick, right? I mean – Fourth, I would say. He'd if there's fourth. five tight ends that come off the board before him, like you're just not gonna get that. enough highly drafted running backs, like for him to fall out. Like he'll still be a f- early four. If he's a third round pick in the NFL draft, like I think he's gonna be a fourth round pick because at that point you're taking like date. How many rookie drafts have you ever seen where five tight ends were drafted in the first four rounds? There's a lot. Not there's very a lot. common. I mean, this past year you had guys like Otten. I've, I've, this will only be my fourth rookie class drafting. It'll be my fifth year. I've never seen more tight ends drafted than I did this past year, and there wasn't like as many at the top. Like there wasn't like a Pitts or like a, even a Hawkinson in this past class, but there was a bunch of you know there was Bellinger, Auten, and two or three other guys in that range. But even those guys were like third and fourth round picks. Like you were getting Auten um, or Bellinger in like the mid fourth. I think that's kind of my expectation for where the second tier guys go. I think you're right. I think Washington is going to get massively overdrafted in some circles because people are just going to see the size, see the athleticism, see the helmet and say, oh, he's going to be a star. NFL teams are going to love him, right? I'm hearing people compare him to Gronk. Well, he's a good blocker is the thing. So, like, (laughs) he gets NFL draft capital and he gets on the field, but, like, is he going to be running rackets? You know? Probably not. He's probably gonna have a low route participation, right? Like maybe really efficient when he gets the ball. But yeah, I don't see any team taking him as a volume receiver. I think he's gonna be an inline guy. He's gonna block on most plays, and then he's gonna get those little leak outs, right? I chip, and then I, you know, I leak out like three or four times a game. And I don't know, unless we're way off base. But I see it the way you do. Like if uh, Saban didn't want to throw him the ball seven or eight times a game probably doesn't need to be getting very targets in, in the NFL either, right? Um, particularly on an Alabama team that was underwhelming this year. So anything else to add on those guys? Or do you have some sleepers that you want to throw us that are outside of your top six? Not too much more to add on those guys. The, the sleepers, I mean, I don't think there's – there's probably two that stand out to me. And you could probably include another guy, but – he seems a little bit more mid to me. But obviously the guy who stands out is Zach Kuntz, if I'm saying that properly. And That's how I my, say it. My God. I mean, there's going to be basically all this guy's going to be the green is green or the red is red when I'm doing these categories. Because his 4, four five, five forty 
40 inch vertical. That's 99th percentile catch radius. He was he had a 23% dominator rating. Uh, I do believe that he had to transfer. Uh, double check me on that, Koontz, but I believe he was not productive for like two years. And then he put up that small school uh, dominator rating. His yards per reception was terrible, 9.5 yards per reception. Uh, I don't know what kind of draft capital he's going to get. I'm going to assume not the top three rounds. So he's like a freak athlete who's got a good dominator rating, but is that a small school? I don't know if he's going to get drafted high. Like uh, crazy high ceiling, I think, if you put it all together. But I don't know if he actually has that kind of skill set or he just runs uh, in a straight line fast and can jump high. But, yeah, but by I golly. Really <laughs> he was he was one of the focal points of that old Dominion offense for sure, um, you know. But yeah, playing at a lower um, lower level of of competition for sure than some of these other guys are. I really think like with guys like him, that's where I'm like, we're not going to know anything until the NFL knows tells us what to think. But I'll say some of his data points don't look great to me either. One point two six yards per route run. Uh, he's got a lower yak for attempt um, than some of the other guys there do. Had a great A dot, actually 11.1. So that's a pretty down. How do you get a 9.5 yard per reception on 11.1 A dot? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You're not catching a lot of the targets, is what's oh happening. But also, God. who was throwing him the ball? Like the guy that was throwing him the ball is probably going to be a dentist next year. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, but yards per reception doesn't include incompletions. Like. <laughs> He only averaged when I'm charting. I mean, oh yeah, you're, you're just saying right. yards well, per reception, I, not per route run, per reception. I hear you. So yeah, how do you get that A dot? He must have been getting a lot of deep targets, but not catching any of them, right? Only catching shorter targets near the line of scrimmage. That's how you get the that set of data points. Yeah, I would say he's um, he's an interesting one because it's like there's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad, and typically that just means that they're bad <laughs> but uh, we'll see how it plays out another guy who i would say is interesting would be will mallory who he's yeah. probably going to be i would say might be like the bellinger of this class for me where you might be able to get this guy undrafted like you might be able to get him in the post rookie draft waiver run um but he ran a four five four forty 36 and a half inch vertical 15 percent dominator is nothing special He's a role player, uh, but that's about what Daniel Bellinger was, who was like a 4'6", 3'40". Uh, let me pull up Bellinger's uh, college dominator, but it was right exactly in that range, 16%. So 16 15%. I would say similar type. You know, he, he might not do a whole lot as a rookie, but if he catches a couple passes, whatever, you know, you might be able to cash him in for early third or, or, or second. Like, you could probably cash in Bellinger for, for maybe the 212 uh, if you added, like, a future four. Like before this Waller trade. Before the Waller, yeah. Yeah, before the Waller trade. Um, but I could see him gaining a little bit of value in that way where he's free, and then a year from now he's worth a high third uh, just based on doing catching a couple passes and, and having a, a 40 time that people can get excited about. Um, so Will Mallory, if he if he's uh, a guy who I can get free, if he's just adding him for like zero $1 bids for sure post-waiver run, Um his yards per reception was not great either, but he's a good athlete, role player. He's is what he is. Then we kind of have another guy, Luke Schoonmuck. I don't know if you, you can tell me a whole lot about him. He he's a decent athlete, 4'6", 340, 33 and a half inch vertical. But again, 
kind of 15% dominant. He's basically Mallory with a little bit less uh, zippity doo dah to him, basically. Uh, lower yards per reception by a little bit, 11.9, a little bit slower. Um, what, what do you know about Luke Schoonmacher? I mean, I watched him play at Michigan, but I'm not even sure he was the best tight end on that team. They had another kid, Eric Hall, that I was more impressed with. Uh, Schumacher had some decent games last year. That's how he got on my radar. Scraping for tight ends on the college side, just like you do if you're missing them in, in redraft or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, if PFF has him as the 19th best rated for the offensive grades. Uh, so I, I don't think he's going to be a guy that we're going to have to worry about as a pass catcher in the NFL. Probably a guy that comes in and gets in a room, you know, like maybe he's a tight end four on a team and, and, and get some snaps, but he's probably more of a camp body than anything else yeah. for me. I did find an interesting data point on Mallory who had some excellent yak. Uh, let me find that again. He reminds Seven, me a little, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. 7.2 yards after contact per reception for Mallory. That is a lot. That is pretty good. And I watched a little bit of Mallory tape just because uh, I was just, just the YouTube highlights. Let's clarify that. I'm not trying to deep dive film them by no means, but I just, when I kind of see a guy who's got the athleticism, decent dominator rating, whatever is going to be free in rookie drive. I just wanted to see what he looks like, what he moves like. And it seems like he's, very long strider like he's going to be used on these long crossing routes across the field but you talked about the yards after catch if he catches it on these long crossers he's got the speed and the length to just turn the shoulder and all of a sudden he's two steps up the field he's eight, eight yards gained so he's a lot of those plays you, you saw at least on the highlights where they're using him in these crossing uh, just get his speed in motion four five four you get that speed in motion with the long legs catch it turn up field like you said, he, he can be a guy. He's not going to make you miss. He's not going to gain yak in that way. I didn't see him really powering through any tackles. That's not what he's going to do. But he's got the kind of speed and vertical roll where, you know, you catch the ball and you're already moving pretty pretty fast and covering a good amount of ground. Yeah, that makes sense. Michigan did a lot of that stuff with wheel routes, deep crossers, uh, a lot of seam routes. The Florida, right? Was, it, was he Florida, Will Mallory? Oh, Ma Mallory was Miami. Schoenmacher, oh, Miami. Michigan. Yeah, Miami. Yeah, yeah, Mallory. And again, I, I remember Mallory because I wanted him to be – that's where Pitts went, right? Miami? No, Florida. We, we, both, we both swapped the two. <laughs> <laughs> there was another tight end ahead of Mallory at, at Miami, and I thought once he cleared out – oh, it was Brevin Jordan. Brevin Jordan. When I thought Brevin Jordan cleared out, Mallory was going to have this high-volume role, and it just never materialized for him. So I'm kind of tepid on both players for an NFL future. But like you said – the free, that's the guys you just, you leave alone. And then maybe in spring camp, if you're hearing that they're, you know, competing for a role, they're going to make a roster. You make that $0 bid and throw them on the taxi if you've got enough space. Um, and the only other guy that I think is even relevant at all about this, and I feel the same way I feel about those two, is Payne Durham from Purdue. I don't know if he tested at the combine or anything, but he was – a high volume player for them. He used 550 receiving yards, uh, 10.2 yards per reception this year for them. So he's relevant. Uh, again, I don't know. Like, this is the kind of players that are like, he's relevant. He might make a roster, you know, not like he's going to be a tight end that we have to worry about for fantasy football. 
unless yeah. something you know changes but um, yeah, also some nice yeah yak there so i have yeah. beyond the top six i chart i have charted basically it's been all the combine participants i have Kuntz, mallory schoonmacher brighton strange josh Weil, blake whitehart davis allen payne Durham, and then i also charted jillio billingsley because he put up a good pro uh 40 yeah, time 40 time on his pro day but out of that whole lower range the only guys above 20% dominator ratings were Kuntz and Payne Durham, who was 24.3%. The problem I have with Payne Durham is he did participate at the combine. He ran a 487, which is like, <laughs> I was crapping on Adam Troutman. Adam Troutman makes Payne Durham look like a, a tortoise. I mean, 487? That's I could almost run a 487. I mean, jeez. <laughs> But he did have a good dominator rating. The, the yards per reception, 10. That's very He's an inefficient player. He's But he, he, if he had a 24% dominator rating, he's probably decent at the role he does. So kind of like you see like a Dalton Schultz, Jake Ferguson even, who uh, is probably the guy stepping into Schultz's vacated uh, position. Oh, Ferguson this year for sure. And Ferguson did not wow me at all uh, with his combine numbers. He was sub 4.8 as well. Let's see what he was at. 4.81. But Ferguson, 28% dominator rating in college. 10 yards per second. It's almost like Payne Durham again. But Ferguson was a fourth round pick. We'll see what round uh, Durham gets drafted. If he gets drafted in the fourth, it's it's almost identical kind of profile to, to Jake Ferguson. Um which again is not going to really mean anything unless he lands in a high powered offense with uh, another tight end who's headed to free agency the next year. So yeah, if that happens, sure. I'll add some shares. Um, but if he's just like goes somewhere, not a good offense, I probably don't really care about him. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting this year to see, cause there's, you know, there's all the guys, the young guys that came in last year that got starting positions or, backups that evolved into starting positions there's you know even um uh some of the guys from the year before who's the kid that went to the colts that's like the hyper athlete jelani uh, yeah jelani woods. woods there's a few other guys in that class it'd be interesting to see if any of these guys can stick like now those guys that are in the third year or their second year like you really want to see them owning that role and you know commanding it uh, and if they don't, then I think you, you might see some turnover in that too. So I, I, I got a million wood shares floating around that I'm hoping uh, he can become a thing uh, with that athleticism and certainly a flash when he gets the targets, but just damn, man, like they get this three-way timeshare thing that they insist on doing. That's just brutal for fantasy. I like Jelani Woods. Uh, he charts well in my system. The draft capital is not great. He had a very high dominator rating. It did come in his final season, I think once he transferred, which is not great. We obviously want early production in college and not when they're in their final season, but he was 34% dominator rating. So he, he did it like it was last year, but he did it Four six one forty, thirty-seven and a half inch vertical on a yards per route run. 1.51. That's good. He was doing well with his opportunities. You mentioned the rotation, the, the snap and the route participation was the biggest issue. If we saw Jelani Woods with full route participation, uh, 1.51 yards per route run, like rookie season, oh boy, uh, uh, he, he could get excited about that. So uh, I very much agree. I think he's he's cheap right now. Uh, I don't think now's a great time to sell. I think 
he starts off with a couple good games, uh, he's all of a sudden automatically worth the future second. So, David, I got one more really important question. So what are you going to pay me to trade up to the 101 from the 102 in the Dynasty Wars League? From the 102? You got the 102. I got the 101. I don't think I'm in position to add Bijan in that league. You have two good quarterbacks. But I have no. You got like Watson and someone else. I got nothing. No, I. The problem, I think I have Lance in that league as my second QB. The problem, the problem is my wide receivers was just like disappointment city. Like I have Bateman, Elijah Moore. Like I just had all these wide receivers. I I would like to sell out of that pick um, and trade down, add JSN and some extras. Like ideally, I don't think that team I'm ready to move up to 101. 101 is like, if you're moving up to 101, and you're ready to pay that price, you better have wide receivers, I feel like. like, And I just don't. So it's just not really something I'm looking Or at, at. least some capital to add some, like, older wide receivers. Yeah, right? like, I got – I'm bare as bones outside. of, And I think I have pits. I have pits and some QBs. And, and then, like, Camara and Pollard, I think, and then some sh- – disappointing wide receivers so yeah we both managed to uh not ace that startup pretty badly i walked out of it being like oh, i'm gonna compete i'm gonna compete and then immediately was like oh yeah i, I think i had them. a decent first Still year back. but then i traded kelsey and some extras for pits and it, it oh. that just that really burned me and then obviously i like i traded aj brown for bateman plus that killed me terry mclaurin yeah. for elijah moore plus that killed me <laughs> Like, I like made, all these guys too. <laughs> that yeah, I'm that league it, like a lot of it coalesced. Like overall, I had a, a pretty good year, but like there was a couple like guys in that range where I was targeting. If if you ended up with three of them in the same league, they were carrying enough value where it was enough to just really do some damage. Yeah, I had Trey Lance, like I said, I had Trey Lance, Rashad Bateman, yeah. Elijah Moore. Uh, see ya. It's <laughs> not a good year for that team. What are you doing with Lance right now? Buy, sell, or hold? I'm literally I would like to trade up. Of like, I, I'm, I'm in the third round of a startup right now. Tua just went off the board. Stroud, Young, and Richardson are gone. So it's either like wait for like Wilson or Cousins, right? Or like pull the trigger on Lance in like the middle of the third round. But I'm like, God, man, like Purdy played good. Like there's – I still think Lance is by far the more talented guy. They're invested in him. If he doesn't look good after like four weeks, like he's not going to have a lot of run. I, I'm fine with the startup price tag. I would like to trade up into some of these uh, undervalued uh, quarterbacks. Like if you can say someone panicking on Lamar or Kyler or Deshaun Watson, I just, it's been tough for me to actually get those deals done. I feel like. Yeah. They all went in the top 10 in this one. People just. I feel like they want me to add like an arm and a leg to Trey Lance to go get to one of them. And I see other people get these deals done and I'm like, I would do that, but nobody's doing that for me. So I'm just kind of like holding them like, all right, let's see if I can acquire Brock Purdy for stupid cheap, like a late. That's what I'm doing. Like, yeah, that didn't just, I don't, I'm not terribly worried about, I was worried about Purdy, but the way it just went down in the end with, you know, a serious injury in a blowout game, where you know his last play was just leaving a poor take. 
they really have to give Trey Lance a shot. Like, and Brock Purdy's not going to have any opportunity to force their hand. He's going to be injured recovering. He's not going to be ready until just before the season yeah. starts. Three months, three months return to throwing. So he misses camp. No, he misses OTAs, but he should be there for camp. You talk about right. Lance if he plays bad. They're going to give him a, a, at least four, five, six games. I mean, they're not going to pull the plug that quick. And how do you look bad with that play caller and those weapons? He was decent enough That's in true. college. like. And if he isn't bad, man, he's going to score so many freaking points. So I'm not – Yeah. I was panicky when Brock Purdy was healthy and it looked like he was seizing probably that starting 2023. But the way it unraveled at the end – the way it'll go wrong is if Trey doesn't look good in camp, right? If like we don't hear anything from camp that's positive, then it's time to panic, right? Because you know that like Purdy has been successful, right? So if Lance isn't at least putting up the points that Purdy was last year for the offense, he's going to have a short leash. Uh, I, I do agree. The onus is on him to perform, you know, like – they're not going to just play him forever with a capable backup if he's not getting the job done. Yeah, I'm, I'm either looking at I'm either going to probably take Kelsey right now. I'm like three oh seven, or I'm going to take Lance. And then if I take Kelsey, I'm just kind of wide receivers in. are still available. Uh, there's a gone. lot of good ones. Uh, I mean, the, the 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 top. I think Tyreek's still out there, but I'd rather have Kelsey than Tyreek. Yeah, and I think like the they're, sim- they're similarly locking me into a win now role right now. Um, one at a much more crucial worry, position. Yeah, and this is like a little bit of there's like some really seasoned people in there, and there's some other people just from the chatter that like I feel like aren't that experienced. So I'm worried about like a vicious quarterback run when the panic hits in, which is fine. Can probably wait it out, take Rodgers on like the seventh or something, and be good and like you know win this year, getting the money. But Daniel Jones maybe around later in the fourth. I don't mind him. In yeah, the fourth round. He won the last one, the mid fourth. You know, so if I think if I take Kelsey here, I think I come back and take Daniel Jones because at least he has a job for a couple of years, unless he really good rushing you know, upside. He's yeah. got a high floor with that rushing upside. He's got good coaching staff. They're adding weapons, like they brought back Saquon uh, in the fourth round. Like if if you're not spending up for one of those early quarterbacks in the first two rounds, like there's not a ton of great options. I like I like Jones. Like I love Geno in the range. I think Goff's decent. Russ, you put like a sixth round pick still, man. He's cheap. I have He's so stupid. many shares from last year, though. I'm, I'm I sold all of them stupidly. Like, I was like, free, free money. Was, I got him for free. Listen, <laughs> now I'm like, I want to buy him back like way more than I sold them for. I was like, oh, yeah, two watching the show, show okay. David. We did, a, we did a deep dive on him in the middle of the season because I was having that same internal crisis. And me and Jeff Abercrombie, the sofa scout, Went down and, and I broke out all the data and we broke down film of him. We're both like, dude, he's he's good. <laughs> like he's playing well, you know. And then he had just a cold streak towards the end of the season, which made me a little bit nervous. I got but, a bunch uh, of free twos, so I'm not terribly disappointed. Like turning right. the waiver, I spent a couple waiver bucks and sold them for twos. Like it's not yeah, waiver money's free money. So I kept cares, one so. though, and it was in a league where I had Russell Wilson. I'm like. I feel like I gotta keep Gino in this league. Like it's not going well. I'm just gonna keep him just in case. And now I'm like, I'm not trading fucking Gino. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got Burrow, Gino, Russ, and I'm definitely keeping Gino. Yeah, you got it, right? What if Russ pulls a disappearing act again? I don't think he does. I think Russ is 
back to a top 12 quarterback this year. I think that's the popular opinion. I don't see why it wouldn't be. He played well at the end of last year after they ousted uh, Hackett. So uh, I think he'll be fine this year. But are you, are you, are you buying Russ? I like him at the price point. I struggle with the Russ versus Geno, like, because you have, I have to take Russ ahead of Geno, like if I'm taking Oh yeah. And yeah, Geno was just, he was QB eight in points per game. Like he's younger. He also got a contract. Why, why am I taking Russ above? I did it to diversify in like my last start because I have more Geno than Russ. Cause I had done like three starts this year and gotten Geno in every single one. So I'm like, all right, I'll take it. And I didn't feel good about it. I'm like, like I want Gino yeah, instead. Like, I had no Burrow shares, and I had the 106 in this. And for some reason, they all let Hurts fall to me. And I have like 10 copies of Jalen Hurts. And I was like, this is a foolish thing to do, but I'm <laughs> going to take a copy of Burrow just because I, I just don't have any. You know what I mean? And I have so much Hurts. So then afterwards, I was looking at the PPG difference of them last year, and I was like, oh, man, I'm dumb. <laughs> it was like three points per game, you know. It wasn't like one or two. It was like shit. That's I like try to easy. diversify organically. You don't want to force diversification, like because your roster is going to diversify itself, and you should yeah. be diversifying through finding value to trading this guy for that guy plus, like not just trading yeah. this guy for that guy just for diversification. But well, I do have a back to back in the rankings, but well, when, when it comes like, down to that, yeah. Sometimes you got to, sometimes, like you said, like you got to trust your gut. Like I have a million, and the thing about her million just, shares. Well, I, I know what my gut thinks right after I make a move. <laughs> I'm either like sinking feeling and I'm like, oh, it's dumb. It's going to cost me money. Or I'm like, oh, I feel okay. But, the thing but it goes both is, ways. Like I've had those, like where there was guys and I was, I don't want to pick this, but I'll pick it just in it. Like Amon Ross St. Brown, I came around on him late. I was picking other guys in that round, in that range. And then I was like, you know, I'm kind of coming around on this guy, you know? Fuck it. Take it. <laughs> it worked out great in that league. So it's like sometimes when you have a million, like a million shares, and there's another similarly priced guy who you have zero shares of, it's not a terrible thing to just say, you know, I'm gonna, gonna switch it up. My thought too is that if if like Hertz gets Hertz gets hurt, it takes down like five of my teams already, you know. Uh so it does help me de-risk a little bit, which I, when you have a lot of teams, I think that like portfolio management and de-risking is, is a wise thing to do. You That's know, like, the I one. Don't have, I don't, I don't want to have 10 copies of CJ Stroud. I wish people talked to me about that more when I started playing Dynasty and, and explained how important it is to diversify your rosters and not to just overload. Like you got to have thresholds. Like it's fine to be high on players and to have above market shares of players. But not just from a risk tolerance, what happens if this player gets injured, like or like you said, but just from a weekly variance point. So like yeah. it, the money making weeks, it comes down to one week. Like if you have similar players in that range and, and you put all 12 of your 15 eggs in this one's dude's basket, he's got a bad just week 17, great season, bad week 17. Now you're just and you could obviously argue the opposite. But uh, where oh now you got 12 or 15 of the guy who does great, but I think generally speaking, you you especially high price players, you in quarterbacks, especially too, like you want to diversify because any one of them could have that big week, uh, you know, just in the final week. So you don't want to just have the same guy playing in all of your lineups uh, across your leagues. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, 
yeah, even like this year, I, I was in I was in a ton of playoffs. Like I think a, at least the same playoff or similar to the same playoff race last year. Last year, I like tripled my money in Dynasty. I just ran so pure. It will never happen again. And I had I won so many third place finishes this year, which is just like it's fine, but it, it's kind of like it, it's kind of sad too. Like, Congrats on your one ten and twenty dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I made like a hundred bucks last year, and if half of those were first place finishes instead, which is yeah. probably a two point difference, I would have made like a grand, you know. So it's what it is. All right, I don't want to hold you hostage, David. This has been awesome. I appreciate you coming on and just dropping knowledge bombs about the position and about free agency. I think we got a lot of good work done here tonight. So can't thank you enough. You want to make one final pitch to the people if anyone hung around for an hour and a half to listen to us talk? Oh, well, uh, just where, where should the eyeballs go? Why wouldn't they? Uh, how could you start <laughs> this show and not tune all the way through? Uh, but yeah, just follow me on Twitter. That's where you're going to get all, all the all the good stuff, all the free stuff. I shouldn't say all the good stuff, all the free stuff. Um, but yeah, if you want the really good stuff, you can go to Patreon. That's going to be all the special stuff, my rankings. I got top 250. Every player's got a buy, sell, hold tag. Uh, player note recommended trades as well. You're going to get the tight end anatomical checklist, which we talked about. You're going to get every tight end who I have charted basically in the top 50 dynasty tight ends organized by my rankings, their entire profile uh, color coded. So you can see which guys stand out, uh, which guys are, are red flags. Uh, and then also you can get into the guru fantasy world uh, discord, which is great as well. We have some other uh, awesome analysts in there. Shout out Akash and Nelly. Uh, Akash, I, I gotta get in better into pronouncing his name. <laughs> I do, I butcher it every single time. Akash and Ali, shout out. Um, sorry, Akash. Yeah, those guys are me. both ballers too. Yeah, so they're they're uh, available as well if you want to pick their minds in the the Google fans. So you, you heard it, folks. Give David a follow. Hop in the Patreon. Hop in the Discord. He's got a uh, all star crew going on in there. Tons of resources for you. And again, if you don't already subscribe to the show please like please subscribe one final plug if you're watching film this year uh i'll drop my my promo code uh and in a link get 15 percent off any dynasty nerd subscription it's their dynasty gm tool but particularly the film room which is part of the nerd nerd sub no better way to watch film than having us cut it up for you and serve it up in five second segments uh it saves hours and hours and you know don't take our word for it. Watch some film yourself as well. So I, I got to thank everyone for watching. Uh, it's been an awesome show. Thanks again, Dave. And we will catch you all on the next one. I got to get some outfits.